You are now listening to the Hack My Age podcast, the show that brings you guests for biohacking women over 50. I'm your host, Zora Benamou, a gerontologist, digital nomad, certified sports nutrition, and breathing coach. I'm the author of the Longevity Master Plan, the cookbook, Eating for Longevity, and a new upcoming energy reboot program for women over 50. Now, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, and I would really appreciate it if you could please leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find us too. This is a really small but very critical gesture that makes a huge impact for me to support a podcast for older women, help us grow stronger, get our voice out there, and attract even more amazing guests to the show for you and for me. You can now watch all of our podcast interviews on the Hack My Age YouTube channel. Some of our guests bring slideshows, so it's really great to have. Every week there is a new video, so just search Hack My Age on YouTube.com or find the link on the Hack My Age website. Before we start the show, I am so excited to announce that we are having another group menopause class starting October 1st. This one is all about optimizing our energy. So if you're feeling tired all the time and, and want to learn how to hack it, then this program is for you. Now you can join me and 20 other fabulous women from around the world to go through the four week program together. And we get to meet live on Zoom every week to keep you accountable and answer your questions. And if you grab a spot now, you can get a discount of 30% with the code EARLYBIRD on the hackmyage.com website where you're going to find the Menopause Energy Reboot Program. But if you have to hurry because the offer is good only until September 12th. So the women who already went through the program not only got more energy, but as a byproduct, they got more muscle and strength. They burned more fat. They sleep way better. They feel more in control and they learned what to expect in this menopause transition and how to hack their way out of it. But if you cannot wait, then you can also follow the program alone without my guidance and go at your own pace. And the program is also on the hackmyage.com website. And if you got questions, just shoot me a message on the site and I'll have links to all the programs in the show notes. So now let's get started with the show. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into something we really haven't covered on the Hack My Age podcast rheumatoid arthritis. And we're going to learn more about it from Indira Pulidath, who had her own struggles with rheumatoid arthritis and actually changed her profession as a pharmaconomics researcher to a nutritional therapy practitioner because of it. She also has a master's in pharmaceutical outcomes and policy, but with all the knowledge she had on pharmaceuticals, she still found that medication alone was not enough when her arthritis was so bad, she could hardly function. So she started looking into healing diets, which worked so well, it motivated her to switch careers and move into the nutrition world. Indira has since wrote a great cookbook called AIP Indian Fusion, which has autoimmune protocol recipes inspired by Indian cuisine. You can also find her healthy recipes on her blog, cooktonourish.com, and I'll have links to all of Indira's information in the show notes. Before we begin, I have to read the fancy disclaimer. All the information discussed today is intended for informational purposes only. It is in no way intended nor implied to be a substitute for a professional medical advice. And if you are experiencing any type of symptoms or suffer from a medical condition, you got to seek a medical doctor and comply with treatment as prescribed. Consult with your healthcare provider before beginning any new diet, health program, or interventions. So now without further ado, let's meet Indira Pulidath. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So let's start by sharing your personal experience and what happened to you and, and at what age and what, what are we talking about? Yeah, that's a great question, right? When you uh, said share about your personal experience, I was thinking, where should I start? <laughs> but the major, you know, like the life-changing experience um, that happened to me was at the age of 42. What happened was I was, at that time, I was really a super busy career woman, 
really having a busy full-time job. I had uh, my hands really full with two growing children. My husband also had a traveling job, which meant that most of the time I had the children to myself, right? What fun. And I was literally on my toes from 6 a.m. in the morning till 11 p.m. at night and never thought that I was busy. You know, it never even occurred to me that this lifestyle is, you know, not good. It's not normal. I just, because I had the energy, I kept doing that. And, it, you know, so, so that's how I was like one day. Just occurred to me, was your mother like that? So my mother, uh, yeah, good question, by the way. My mother had a very opposite personality to me. Uh, she was a homemaker and housewife. However, she was also super busy in the sense that, you know, she just cared for the family, was totally interested in cooking all the time and everything. And the other common thing was she had Ari. She had rheumatoid arthritis and she was diagnosed. Um, she was never diagnosed with Ari, but she had all these symptoms right around you know, her in her 40s. Interesting. Yes. Um, so yeah. yeah, so that was a, a good question. Sorry to yeah, interrupt so, you. Yeah, I just came. No, no, <laughs> that was that was really good. So what happened was, you know, I was going along like this. And then suddenly one day, right, one fine day, I find that my wrist hurts a lot. It just like it was like all of a sudden, like one day I was super healthy, you know, jumping around. And then the next day, I'm like, what happened? And then, you know, went to the doctor, she gave me a painkiller. And a couple of days later, I was fine. But then two days later, it was another joint, like it was my shoulder. And uh, what was interesting was that it was just the very slightest minimal thing would trigger that pain episode. For example, for my shoulder, you know, I had like a very small handbag, you know, that I would put on my shoulder and walk about five minutes from the parking lot in my at work to my desk and just the five minute walk with that straw bag caused my shoulder to go into a flare. And it was, and what we're talking about is like intense excruciating pain that you feel that you're going to die. So that started happening. And all of a sudden, I'm like thinking, what is wrong, right? What is this? Basically, this kept happening for a period of three months. And uh, it was only after a period of three months going to multiple doctors that I finally was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. So when I finally got the diagnosis of RA, I was like, in a sense, relieved because I was like wondering, what is this like illness that I, you know, that I don't even know what it is, but at least I knew I was very positive. The doctors prescribed me medications and being, you know, having like, uh, the pharmacy background, I knew about medications and I knew that there were medications to help RA. So I was like very hopeful and I'm like, yeah, this will be, I'm going to be fine. I'll be put on medications. I was very receptive to them. I was put on those medications and I thought everything is going to be hunky-dory from there, right? But not. It was the opposite. The medications helped me like maybe about 50%, I would say, like they help reduce the flares, but they were still happening and the intensity of the flares was still the same. So whenever they happened, it was like really painful, right? So it was still there. And then on top of that, these medications started giving me side effects. They started giving me all these horrible side effects that at one time I was on the floor with abdominal pain. And then my husband had to call the ambulance to rush me to the hospital. So these kind of things are like so scary, even though I, you know, have a pharmacy background, I know that medications can cause uh, side effects, right? Potential things like this, like abdominal cramps. But when you actually end up experiencing that and going to the emergency room, you are like so nervous taking it again, right? You're like, oh my God, like, what is this doing to me, right? So, so nervous. But despite that, I kept persevering. My doctor changed my medication and, um, you know, we tried a couple of different things, but I, you know, it was still there. And at that point I was getting like really frustrated. I tried a lot of alternative therapies and it was a period, you know, it didn't happen overnight. It was a period of time, like maybe around two years, I would say, you know, that when I finally uh, was able to try the AIP or the elimination diet that helped me, and that's when I saw improvement in my symptom. And I saw that, you know, things were helping me. So that was like that whole life-changing experience for me. What other therapies were you doing? And just out of curiosity, 
we all try so much when we're having some issues and did any of them work? That's another excellent question because I did try, you know, I like to say that I tried pretty much everything under the sun, um, right? Because you're also so gullible at that point. You're like, you're so desperate to get better. You just, you know, hear about something and you latch on to it and you're like, okay, this is going to make me feel better. I'm going to do it. So I did try a lot of those kind of things. And I don't want to name names of the programs because, you know, just it might help other people. But there were a few different, you know, things that I tried, including Joe's juicing or like the vegan diet and even just kind of went gluten free, dairy free, you know, tried different components of diet things also like eating certain foods um, and things like that. But nothing really made a dent in, you know, what I was having in my pain and inflammation. It was, you know, it just kept happening. The pain flares kept happening. And then I also tried Ayurveda. I don't know if you're aware of Ayurveda. It's an ancient Indian form of medicine. So, you know, I have a lot of family back home in India. And uh, so they were telling me that, you know, you should try Ayurveda because it can help a lot of chronic diseases. And I was like, okay, I will do that. So at one point, I had also had to go on disability from work because, you know, these pain flares were so bad. And after a period of like six months, you know, despite being on medications, my pain, like my a lot of my joints were like permanently kind of in flare, you know, so my knees were like hurting so badly, I had trouble like walking up the stairs in my home itself, even like, you know, taking small movements, you know, just walking was like hard for me, you know, so I was like, really badly disabled. So that at that time, when I was on disability, I thought, let me take advantage of this, that I'm off work, and I'll just go to this place in, you know, to this doctor in India. And I did like one month of treatment with him, Ayurvedic, you know, following everything that they suggested, including the diet, etc. But unfortunately, that didn't work for me. It did not work for me. And actually, sadly, it actually made my inflammation get worse, you know, so I came back like really badly inflamed. And I'm like, okay, what do I do next? Right. And another thing I point I want to mention here, which, um, you know, many people with RA go through is more than the physical pain, right? Physical pain is something that you do experience. And you're like, okay, over time, you're kind of you get like, increasingly tolerant to it to some extent but then the mental frustration the mental anguish that you go through is like nothing that uh, you want to ever to experience because you just feel so alone you know you just feel so alone you know like I knew my husband was very supportive my children were very young at that time but it just pained me so much that I can't be like part of you know normal activities anymore and so I was dealing with a lot there with all that happening. And um, for me, the other life changing thing at that time was, you know, when before I started the diet was, I also started praying a lot. Uh, and my one of my close friends introduced me to that. And she, she saw that I was like mentally very uh, frustrated. I was kind of going heading into, you know, the depression mode. And she wanted me to, you know, she wanted to prevent me from going there. So she said that, would you be open to doing prayer? And that, Zora, was one thing that helped me tremendously. Because, you know, it was like I needed that kind of some spiritual connection to feel that positivity, you know, because I felt like I had tried everything and nothing is working. And why is all this thing happening to me? And, you know, you kind of go into that cycle. So that prayer really helped me. That then slowly I started regaining my positivity back. And then from out of the blue, from nowhere, like as if like a miracle, you know, I met with this naturopath who suggested the AIP diet for me. I still think that, you know, that that happened, that turn of events really was what helped me. And uh, finally, I was introduced to the AIP. And because if I had been introduced to the AIP early on, maybe I would not have been as receptive. You know, now I was in a better frame of mind as well to be able to implement that. And I dove into it right away. And that is what actually helped me. So it was like really a combination of things. 
I'm really interested in hearing. This is amazing, actually. It's it's uh, the mind-body connection, right? You would think, oh, prayer, well, that's not a physical thing. How can that help me? And it's fascinating to see that that work. Did you pray before? Was that part of your life and lifestyle? Or was that something totally new to you? So so I was born and raised a Hindu. Uh, so you know, I was born in India and always raised a Hindu. One thing about Hinduism is that you can you know, you can be very religious, or you can be in the middle, you know, or you can just be minimal, you know, no, there's no like hard and fast rule, you know, people choose their own convenient space, like an as needed basis, (laughs) as needed basis. Yeah, I think that's, that's accurately put. So that's how I was because I was young, right, when I left home. And at that time, you don't really feel the need because you think when you're young, you think everything is so, you know, sweet, everything is fine, you don't need to worry about anything. But then, I would say I was in the middle. I've always fell into the middle bracket. Like, so when there was some religious days and stuff, then I would do the prayer, but I wouldn't like do it on a daily basis. But I always had faith, you know, and that's important. I always had faith in God. But then what happened was after I got diagnosed with RA, I actually, it, it, you know, I started feeling negative and I started feeling like why if there was god why would he do this to me right so i started asking those kind of questions and uh, so i kind of then went away from praying i did not you know i moved away from it's it was like i was i don't know how to describe that it was almost like i was you know having harboring like um really sad feelings and i was like you know i'm not in the mood to pray anymore so so then I actually, the friend who suggested prayer to me, um, she is a Christian and she reads the Bible. And so she asked me if I was open to reading the Bible. And I was really open to reading it because I knew that I needed something and it would be in English. So that actually was another factor that motivated me because I wanted to understand what I was reading and what those things meant. And, you know, it's like kind of, feeling some connection and so that's why I was open to it and um, and now I've, I'm you know proud to say that I'm like open towards all religions you know it's not like one religion over the other I'm just like I just feel that we all need to find a way that you can connect with the higher power and uh, so that process just helped me connect with that power and um, it just kind of anchored me This episode is sponsored by Oxford HealthSpan, the creators of my favorite supplement, Primadine. I admit it, I am a total supplement junkie, but if I had to choose only one, it would be this one. And it's because Primadine is spermidine, and this is shown to activate autophagy, which is super important. Now, this is a cellular cleanup and recycling process that declines as we age. So as we get older, our cells accumulate a lot of junk and waste, which isn't good for our cells, our health, nor our longevity. So we need to clean it up. And if you want the research on this, go to OxfordHealthSpan.com and you can see all of it, showing how spermidine supports our brain, our hormones, and our heart health. And another great side effect is stronger hair, skin, and nails, but also longer eyelashes. But, you know, the real important reason why I love Primadine is because I have never, ever received as much feedback on a product I recommended as I have with Primadine. Literally every week, someone reaches out to me on Facebook or Instagram with an amazing testimonial. And... Most of the time, it's about improved sleep. And even some of you told me it's reversed a bit of your gray hair too. So I find that totally amazing. So I can honestly say with 100% certainty that Primadine is the best spermidine supplement you'll ever find. And you can try it with a 15% discount by using the code Zora, Z-O-R-A, on OxfordHealthSpan.com. Just be sure to get back to me with your results too. Now enjoy the show. How long were you praying for or how long did it take until you actually felt an impact? And, and not only many, how many days, but how often, and how many hours or minutes? 
in about a week, I started feeling positive. I started feeling positive. And initially, when we started, uh, we were doing it like twice a week. But she had also sent me uh, like the other books that there were like verses and hymns that I could just like, you know, browse through and read whenever I felt like reading it. And they were just like inspiring, you know, those quotes. So I would just browse through them even, you know, the rest of the week. But we prayed like for twice a week. And within a week, um, I I could feel like mentally, I just could feel the difference. I suddenly like, I don't know, just like my whole perspective changed. And I felt really positive, you know, like from where I was, you know, in the pits, I felt like there was no way out of this thing to feeling that, oh, I can, I can fight this. I'm ready. Wow. That's like, better than a Tony Robbins conference and <laughs> more faster and more impactful that I mean, I, I, I really I know we're going to talk about nutrition and all that. But I, and I didn't expect this, the spiritual side, but I find it fascinating and and how impactful and how fast it worked for you. And did it eliminate like 50% of the pain? Or was that just sort of the trajectory that just said, Okay, now I'm gonna be positive and keep looking to get the final 20% or whatever? How much of an impact did it make? Yes. So the impact was mainly mental. Okay. So my, it's not like my pain flares also magically disappeared or anything. It was like, you know, the mental thing that I felt that, okay, I still have the pain. I'm still suffering with Ari. I still need to find solutions, right? I have a long way to go, but I felt like I, I had that energy and determination to go that route and find continue to, you know, uh, find alternative treatments or something that's going to help me. I also got that feeling that there is, I will find the path. Because see, you get frustrated when you feel like you don't know whether you're going to succeed or not. So somehow that prayer made me feel that I am going, there is going to be an end to my misery. I got that. I just don't know how, but I just got that in me that it is going to come. So, and that's why I was more open to like, you know, continuing that path. Uh, that's an important aspect. And I appreciate that answer. So then what happened next? Cause you got, that's, it's like, it just really sounded like that's a, just supercharged your mission to really find the solution for this. As I know how difficult, how it can be to just wallow in self-pity and pain. And it just is downward spiral towards depression. And uh, I'm a gerontologist and we study older adults and, and, and pain and fractures and falls and, and how it really can get out of control. And just because of pain, that's like a physical pain. So it's, it's really great that you got this mindset. Then what happened? What was the turning point in your life that made you actually change careers for this? So that was definitely another turning point, right? So what happened, as I told you, like once I started implementing the AIP diet, and again, I was, I entered doing the AIP diet in a very receptive frame of mind. I was like, somehow, I don't know how Zora, but that prayer just helped me to think that this is now going to work for me. I just, and and, and the science was also there, but you know, so the naturopath who introduced the AIP diet to me pointed me towards Dr. Sarah's website, you know, the paleomom.com, the autoimmunewellness.com, which both of which have like tons of the science behind the AIP diet. The, you know, there's a lot of science there. And being of science background, like I and always worked as a researcher too. So that was, you know, I was, I just saw all this information. I went reading through all of this and that continued to make me feel hopeful that there is a science behind this, this can help. And and then I just dove into it 100%. And the diet actually, within a month, I started feeling better. Like my pain flares reduced, you know, within a month. And I was still taking medications. It's not like I had uh, changed anything in the medication. That part was the same. But just adding the diet actually helped. And so much that, you know, just uh, before I had started this diet and where I was like really bad, my inflammation was high, my rheumatologist wanted me to go on the next level of medication, which are the biologicals, you know, the injectables, like your, um, he, the Humira Embril. But he was thinking that my RA was so severe that he actually even wanted me to skip the Humira and Embril and go right away to the Rituxan, 
which is like the IV infusion. And he was like, you need to go there because your inflammation is really high. And then I told him, I requested him, can we wait uh, for a couple months because I'm just trying this, going, just started this diet. And he, he's a nice man, but he looked at me and I could see that he did, did not really believe that the diet is going to do anything. And he was like skeptical, but you know, he was like, okay, if you want to, but he's like, yeah, but after two months, you know, and, and he said that every month we'll continue to monitor your blood work. Now, that was a good thing because what happened was every month, not only did I feel better physically, but my blood work also showed that I kept getting better. So that really surprised my rheumatologist, you know, so he know, he knew that nothing had changed with medication. And then every month I went to visit him, my blood markers were lower and lower. And then at the end of the third month, my blood mark, my inflammation was in the normal range. Markers were in the normal range. And I felt that completely pain-free and at that point. So he looked at me and he said, like, whatever it is that you are doing, keep doing that because it is working. Did he not ask a little deeper? Like, what are you doing? Yeah, no, he did. So he is, oh, he is actually a big supporter of me now. So on my website, Rheumatite Strong, he has given me a testimonial because not only did he see me improving, but after, you know, um, after I became a nutritional therapist, and then he even refers his patients to me now, because he know that this works. So, you know, so it's almost like I changed a skeptic doctor uh, to a more <laughs> positive one, because he, he just saw it, you know, you can't deny it. It's, it's, but that's great because I just spoke to somebody else about just another story of some life-changing transformation. I don't remember what. And she said, no, her doctor was not interested whatsoever what she did. I hear so many stories like that. So it's so refreshing to hear today you say that your doctor was actually curious and now is supporting you and his patients <laughs> referring them to you so that they can get better. I mean, that's what I would expect from a doctor's if you don't can't help people because I bet he was very frustrated with all the medication giving to you and it just was getting worse and worse. Like, wouldn't mm -hmm. that make any doctor upset and go, okay, let's find something else. But wonderful story. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry. And I didn't complete the part as to why finally I decided, right? So I saw this and then at, until then I was on disability leave. And then when I started to get better, I decided to resume work, right? So I went back to work and uh, within a month, I started noticing, you know, like my uh, health had been improving. And then after I started work, I started seeing those pain flares popping in randomly here and there. And then I started correlating them to things at work, you know, like the timelines, if I had a deadline, or if I had like a stressful work situation that was triggering some flares. And so that's when I decided to stick, take a step back and really reevaluate, rethink what I wanted to do. I definitely wanted to go all the way there and become like 100% better, right? And I knew that I had to do like by then, if I had started reading up a lot and I had, I knew that it was not just the diet, but that the lifestyle, you know, that was an important aspect to it too. And, and then just doing the AIP to Zora is uh, initially not easy because, you know, you have to do the diet. I had to make like normal, I mean, cook normal diet, right? For my rest of my family and then to cook the AIP diet for myself. So there was a lot of work. And so looking at all that and then seeing that the work was actually kind of an impediment to my progress, I just decided at that time, I said that I'm going to take a break from work, right? So that is what I thought I was doing, that I was quitting my job. I quit my job, but I thought I'll basically take a break for one year and then either go back to the same job if they would take me or maybe, you know, something similar. My focus at that point was to just take care of myself for a year. And that is what I did. But while I was doing that, that one year, I started getting more and more pulled into nutritional therapy and functional medicine. I, I took a ton of, you know, all the free webinars that I could <laughs> find. A lot of, uh, you know, I started following all these people like Dr. Mark Hyman, Chris Kresser, you know, attending all their uh, podcasts. And, uh, and then I just started getting fascinated by that science. And then I said, like, you know, when I want to go back to work, I really want to now do something that can help people, you know, that can help somebody. 
because what was the point in going back to a corporate job where I'm just doing a bunch of analytics, I'm doing stuff, and I, I really don't know who benefits from that work, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day. So that's like my whole perspective had changed. And I really wanted to do something that at the end of the day would, you know, provide help somebody. So then I, that's when I decided that I wanted to study and become a nutritional therapy. At least I would have a base qualification in that area and then continue to grow in that area once I do that. So that's when I enrolled into the NTA's um, NTP program. That's the um, the nutritional therapist uh, program, uh, nutritional therapy uh, practitioner program. Hey, I'm butting in for a quick second. If you enjoy the content brought to you in this podcast, consider supporting Hack My Age by becoming a patron on patreon.com. This is where you can drop a tip or become a member for the price of a coffee. Members get special material, free coaching, and private Zoom calls. Join us by going to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash hack my age. Thanks for your support. Now let's get back to the podcast. So let's uh, explain a little bit about the AIP diet, the autoimmune protocol diet, I guess. And uh, you, what, what, let's explain what is autoimmune disease in a brief way and wh what is the AIP diet and why did that was your, you were recommended to try this. So let's explain a little bit what is it that you did in terms of nutrition. So autoimmune disease is basically what happens in your body when your immune system gets confused, you know, very simplistically put. So normally the immune system's function is to attack any foreign cells, right? Like say, for example, there's an infection by a bacteria or a virus, it's supposed to attack those cells, kill them so that the body is safe. But when you person develops autoimmune disease, that immune cells, you know, something happens in their functionality that changes that they now start attacking body's own cells too. You know, they're just, so that's why I like to say that they're just confused. Mostly that happens when they're overworked, you know, so the immune system, when they're overworked, they get confused and then they, they start attacking the body's joints. And depending upon what part of the body they start attacking, that, that's the disease you get. For example, for RA, they start attacking the body's joints. And that is why that's when people have RA. When they start attacking skin cells, then you get people get psoriasis and uh, so on and so forth. You know, there are thyroid, right? That's your thyroid, Hashimoto's, when they attack the thyroid gland, etc. So that's in a nutshell what autoimmune disease is. And the AIP protocol, uh, and um, to, to explain a little bit further in terms of what now we know happens when this to trigger this, you know, that autoimmunity is that over a period of time when your gut health is poor and when you have, and there could be a lot of underlying causes that also could contribute to poor gut health. You know, in addition to poor diet, there could also be lifestyle things that can actually, like if you are extremely stressed, you've gone through an extremely stressful situation, lack of sleep, exposure to toxins, chemicals, etc. Those can also impair your gut health. And then that term, what we call is, is leaky gut. When your gut becomes leaky, then this causes your immune system to become abnormal. And that is because your immune system, about 70 to 80 percent of your immune system is closely attached to your intestine. You know, it just like right, it sits right outside your small intestine. And that's a part that not many people know. But once they understand that important part, they can see that correlation between gut health and immune function, right? So for me, that was like the aha moment, you know, in all my research when I realized that, okay, that is why what I eat matters because when your gut becomes leaky, certain foods can leak out of that space, you know, in your small intestine, and then they directly come you know, come across, the immune cells come across those cell, uh, the food particles, and that triggers an immune response. That's how autoimmunity happens. The AIP diet, or the it's also called as elimination diet, you know, but the AIP diet is a little bit more precise than elimination diets that were there in the past. The concept is to avoid all potential inflammatory foods. Some of those foods are grains. It's not just gluten, but all grains, you know, all grains, all legumes, 
even certain healthy foods like dairy, eggs, nuts. And then an important category is nightshades, which are your tomatoes, eggplant and potatoes. And then also like white sugar, soy. You avoid all this list of inflammatory foods so that, you know, that response that I was saying that happens, the reaction that happens when these substances go against the immune system and it triggers that flare, right? So we are trying to avoid that. So when you avoid all these things and also eat a lot of healthy foods, the AIP is also about eating healthy foods. You know, like you have to eat a lot of vegetables. You have to eat nutrient dense foods like organ meats, if possible, bone broth, you know, all those healing foods. So it's like in on one hand, you're avoiding inflammatory foods. On the other hand, you're giving nutrient dense foods to heal your gut. And that is what you're doing to help heal that leaky gut so that your immune system is not that triggered and doesn't give you the flares, right? So that is in a nutshell what the AIP does. And it is considered to, you know, start do, doing this. And as soon as you, as your symptoms improve a little bit, you can start to reintroduce some of the foods back, not all, right? Like you can add processed foods back, you can add the white sugar stuff back, you can add gluten back, but some of the healthy, other healthy foods, for example, you know, legumes are healthy in general, uh, eggs and nuts are healthy, a dairy also can be healthy. So, but you have to do it one at a time so that you can then gauge whether your body is still reacting to it or not. So it's kind of like a process. You said that you it took you about a month before you started to feel pain-free. Or if I, if I, did I understand you correctly, was that about a month? Yeah, a month when I actually started noticing a reduction in my pain. And then at the end of three months, I felt completely better. So what were you actually... Explain the diet itself. You took out all this inflammatory or those trigger possible trigger foods for how long and then reintroducing them one by one like how often would you reintroduce one and wait a few days and then bring the next one or how did that work so the first three months i did it 100 percent aip so i was in elimination phase you know i started feeling better after one month uh, but I just wanted to keep going because I was feeling good, right? So, and by then, after one month, see, actually, one month is the hardest, the first month. And then you get used to the diet and you you realize that there are a lot of options. It's not like you are deprived, right? So I started getting comfortable and I wanted to give it more try. I wanted to continue the healing. So I continued with three months. And then at after three months is when I started the reintroduction process. And, and the reintroduction process continues even now. You know, it's like five, six years now since I first started the AIP, but there are some foods that I still can't handle. I'm like extremely sensitive to almonds, eggs. And over the last several years, you know, I've tried introducing them. Some foods I've successfully reintroduced, you know, I've successfully reintroduced other nuts like walnuts and cashew nuts, et cetera. But, you know, so, so the food sensitivities um, are, again, different for different people. You know, that's another important thing. For me, I've been able to introduce a lot of foods like rice also I'm able to reintroduce now. But I try to limit them because I know that these foods have the potential to be inflammatory. So I, you know, like grains, for example. So I don't eat a lot of it. It is a journey, actually, and I, I, I know people who've who've done this as well. And after a while, they do find, even though they were very sensitive to say almonds, they find that maybe after a while they can eat, you know, three or six, but not a whole handful or not more than that. And and so in the beginning, these elimination diets feel like a death sentence because you're like, I can't eat this, and you 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 don't look at all this stuff that you can actually eat because you're just not used to it. But when you when you do get used to it, you realize, oh, okay, it's not that bad. But but after a while, yeah, it is it is interesting. I think uh, I'll I'll share my story a little bit later. But I know that when you're feeling so good uh, with an elimination diet, there's probably a psychological impact of fear of ever eating that almond again, or because you know, it's going to bring you pain or or possibly right. That's why the experimenting bringing it back in is probably a little bit of a a scary moment now? 
It is. It is. You're absolutely right. You know, and I'm probably guilty of that too. Like some of the things like eggs, you know, I, the first time I tried to reintroduce eggs, I got a big pain flare. So, so much that it actually discouraged me from, you know, like trying. I, I just like, I'm so nervous. And I, I tell myself that I'm okay without eggs. Like I don't really miss it. As a nutritional therapist and a coach, like I really encourage everybody to keep trying, you know, because it, it would be good to keep adding more foods to your universe of acceptable foods because, you know, variety is always good, you know, to help that gut um, flora. Uh, so, but you are absolutely right. There is a psychological component to it that uh, you you have to overcome. So. Th- the diet made the biggest impact. It sounded like the prayer was the trajectory to put you in the right mindset because you do have to be in the mindset for that. And then the diet and and you said you have a science background and and there is a lot of research between the I mean, with the AIP diet, like with so many other diets, there's always lots of research. But I think you explained it pretty well why that made such a big impact because of the leaky gut, of the stuff leaking into the bloodstream and your body thinks it's an invader, attacks it, and and then it manifests somewhere else. Is it possible that people have gut issues or leaky gut, but don't know it? Because usually people have gas and bloating, constipation. Can it happen without knowing? Yeah, it is absolutely possible. Uh, and in this modern age and world, I think um, I won't be surprised if pretty much everybody has some <laughs> form of leaky gut because, as I said, it's not just the bad diet, but it is also the stress because it, uh, you know, the abnormal cortisol levels can actually also cause a leaky gut. Lack of sleep can also cause leaky gut exposure to toxins and chemicals. And we are all right, you know, the air is not um, you know as pure as, as it used to be 100 years ago so considering all that factor i think we all need to take steps even if you don't have active autoimmune symptoms yet we need to take steps to um, really improve our continue to improve our gut health you know by eating nutrient dense foods by taking measures to reduce stress in our life to make sure that you sleep well you know um, and then taking um, measures to detox periodically so that you can detox from, you know, all the chemicals that we are exposed to. How do you recommend detoxing? So one of the biggest ways you can do detoxing is by just eating a lot of nutrient dense like greens, leafy greens and cruciferous vegetables, because what they do is they naturally support our liver. You know, the job of our liver is to detox. And the more nutrition you give to your liver, it will be able to do its job better. That's one way. The second way is to make sure you keep all your pathways open, excretory pathways, by drinking enough water, right? Keeping yourself hydrated so that your cells are hydrated and then, you know, you're making your kidneys excrete in a proper way so they can detox efficiently. Make sure eating healthy will also make sure that you're not constipated so that your bowels are moving, right? So all those things will help you detox. And then exercising regularly or doing like a um, sauna also is very good because that helps you sweat out and that sweat can excrete out toxins as well. There are also certain, um, you know, some people will do infrared sauna and those are also good, but they all have an expense to it. So that's why I wanted to just say, what are some things that you can just do on a day-to-day basis without even investing in anything else? Yeah, exercise is also definitely, I highly recommend that. With exercises, walking and yoga, fine, even if you don't sweat, or do you need to sweat? Yeah, for the having that detox effect, definitely, you know, some kind of sweating is recommend, uh, some kind of exercise that can induce sweat is recommended. However, you know, yoga and walking is are also some things that I highly recommend for two reasons. One, um, for that they are calming qualities, um, right? They just calm you. When you t- we talked about mindset and how that mind-body connection so those kind of gentle exercise help in calming your body, helping in calming your like cortisol down. You know, if you like stressed, etc., that will help balance your hormones. So from that perspective, it is good. And then also for people who have RA and joint damage uh, or you know joint stiffness, etc., yoga is something that I highly recommend. And even gentle walking because those helps keep the joints moving. 
and that helps to reduce the stiffness. Is rheumatoid arthritis reversible? Not to the best of my knowledge, unfortunately, uh, because once you have RA and you test positive for RA, it's always going to be there in your system. I know I have like randomly come across, you know, YouTube videos of some people who say that they got um, RA and then they did like a bunch of things, you know, like treatments and now they are free from RA. But I have not actually come across any real person and I have not seen any, you know, scientific literature on that yet. What can happen is, and that's true with any autoimmune disease too. Once you have the autoimmune disease, it just stays. You are positive with that. But the thing about the symptoms, it's possible to manage your symptoms so that they can go, the disease can kind of go into remission, you know, where you don't have like an active form of the disease. You can keep it under control. So that is what I have seen. Now, RA2 can manifest itself in a bunch of different ways. For some people, you know, early on, they have like the positive indicator for it in blood work, but they may not have any active symptoms. I have had, you know, clients like that come to me where they are just nervous that they are, you know, symptoms are positive. I mean, their test is positive, but they don't have active symptoms. And I just advise them to do the diet and lifestyle that can help keep that leaky gut at bay and not really, you know, uh, translate into painful symptoms, right? So they don't need to be on medication and they have been able to stay that way. Uh, but I also recommend that they continue to monitor their blood regularly, blood work regularly to test for inflammation. Because with RA, the other um, bad part about it is it can all, it is not just a disease of the joints. It can, It's also a systemic disease. So it can also attack your organs, like it can attack heart, lungs, um, kidneys, etc. And that is why one of the things like if anybody has uh, even mild to moderate symptoms, and with diet, they're they're feeling better, you know, by the dietary changes and the lifestyle, they're feeling better. I still recommend that they be on some form of medication, you know, even if it is low dose medication, I highly recommend that. And that is another thing about my approach, my integrative approach that my rheumatologist likes, you know, I just don't tell people to do this diet and lifestyle and then go off medication, you know, that should not be their goal. Of course, reducing the stronger medications or avoiding the biologicals can be a goal, right? Which was my goal too. And also potentially lowering the dose of your oral medications, that can be a goal, but not like completely going off of medications because I feel like that's not good advice, you know, because it it can cause systemically, it can still, you know, continue to brew inside your body and cause other damage and you don't want that. Are you still taking medication? Yes, I am. And I was able to not only avoid that um, in, you know, the infusion that he wanted me to be so six years and I have still not had to go that route. And then whatever medication, the combination, I'm on a combination medication of methotrexate and hydroxychloroquine. And I was able to reduce the dose of those medications too, from where I was when I started the diet. That's amazing. So I'm wondering about it seems as though the triggers here, you mentioned stress as being some of the root causes of this, the diet uh, as well, causing the leaky gut and then triggering this. And I'm thinking of all these people in the world who are majorly stressed, or you think of the war in Ukraine, I can imagine the, the impact that's having. There are a lot of people who are stressed and they don't get RA or they don't get hypothyroid why not? Or what's happening there? What's the difference between those people and, and the others who get some kind of an arthritis or other disease for that matter? That's a great question, right? So the third factor uh, to all this some, uh, is one thing that we didn't discuss, and that's genes or, you know, our, how our, our genes, um, uh, they make our cells respond to certain things. So that third component is the genetic thing. So in some people, maybe their genes are really good, that even the external environment thing and the diet and the lifestyle, even though those are bad, their genes are very good that, you know, it kind of prevents them from turning on or off, depending upon whatever is happening there, right? So that could be that, or they could be having like, um, they, you know, even if they don't know, but they are uh, taking some measures that 
they know like some people even in stressful situation they can take the stress but they have a way to not let that affect them it's like i that's my husband <laughs> that's a superpower <laughs> <laughs> but but you have a great point that i don't have the complete answer to that but that's what i think you know that the genetic component may be what is and i i would be uh, curious to know what if you have any other thoughts around yes, that yes no i do it, it's it's always a question because we always throw around you know since the mapping of the human genome the the uh the your genes are the loaded gun and the lifestyle is the trigger so those genes are about 20% of your destiny to you know your predispositions to get a certain diseases but 80% we can control with lifestyle some people say 90 10 but you know it's actually really surprising when i first heard that cuz my mother died of cancer and i was like oh my god i'm going to die of cancer too young and then this came out and i'm like woof wow i feel like i control a lot and but then you hear those people who do have the healthy diet and lifestyle and they do get these diseases and you're thinking wow well and then very often it's contributed well they had this predisposition this is you know their genes and you're like so if genes are only 20% that 20% can be pretty impactful and uh, pretty strong so it is uh, it doesn't mean that just because you dealt you know uh, the the you won the lottery and the genes you can just go woohoo and do whatever you want because those people can also you know have something but and vice versa just because you got a bad set of cards well you it's not uh, exactly your full destiny we don't know but um it's it that's that's just what i've been observing through my life and through what i've been learning and you know it's it's still, yeah, I think we do need to pay attention to our diet lifestyle, no matter what kind of genes you have, and not to be doomed or feel upset. I think people should get their their DNA tested or their, their genes tested and see what they are so that they're just aware and it doesn't mean anything. Uh, I mean, it means that you have a predisposition, but it doesn't, it's not 100% you're going to get this whatever disease that you have a predisposition to. So that's that's my opinion. Yeah, that that's a great point and I'm sorry to hear that um, you know your mom died of cancer. So my mother who I told you about RA right so she had end stage uh, renal disease and she passed away like 15 years ago at uh, age 59. Oh, so for me too it's always there in the back of my mind that I have RA too and you know my mother got kidney disease from it so am I going to get kidney disease from it? But then I tell myself uh, I am doing all the things that I can do that I'm aware of, right? I'm doing everything possibly that I can do at this point with the diet and the lifestyle, things that my mother didn't, the, those tools my mother didn't have at her disposition. So I feel like I am better off. And then at the end of the day, whatever happens, happens, but I am doing my best. So at least, uh, but I, I totally get your point and And that's a very good point, what you raised. I have the same mindset. I always say, well, I just do whatever I can. And you do your best. You do you do everything that you know and you're aware of. And if I get some disease, I'm guilt-free. I'm not going to go, oh, I should have you know, changed my diet or I should have you know, paid more attention to my lifestyle and I would see my grandkids grow up and have that, live with that guilt and die with that guilt. I don't have that guilt. Exactly. <laughs> I'm free of that. And whatever happens, happens, not my fault. Uh, <laughs> that's how I feel too. Absolutely. So I wanted to ask you then, uh, how we're, we're going to put the woman going through this peri postmenopausal transition? Hormones are fluctuating like crazy, and everything. How is there? Was there? Is there any connection between rheumatoid arthritis and menopause? I definitely think there is a connection uh, because if you see the onset of RA. The biggest category of people who get diagnosed with RA is women age between age 40 to 50 or 40 to 45 rather. And that is the age of perimenopause, right? When perimenopause sets in. So I definitely think there is some correlation between perimenopause and the hormone levels going low and the triggering of autoimmunity. And I saw that with myself too, as I told you, like at age 42 is when I was diagnosed and you know, all the uh, symptoms that I described, like all of a sudden I started getting the pain symptoms and right around that time was when I was experiencing for the first time in my life ever, I was started experiencing changes in my menstruation cycle, you know, like the perimenopause started happening right around that time. So I definitely think there's a correlation. 
Uh, and we know now, right, that the um, hormone levels get impact the immune function and the hormone levels um, are closely related. Like people who have COVID vaccine, they miss a period and, you know, their periods are delayed, etc. So clearly there is a correlation between your immune function and hormone. The exact details, I don't know, but I don't think that there is a correlation. I'm thinking that it, essentially what it does is that, you know, the imbalance in hormones has an impact indirectly on your gut health, you know, and then inadvertently it leads to leaky gut. For me personally, I think it was a combination of the perimenopause. And another thing had happened at that time, right around the time, just before I was diagnosed, I got a viral infection, which was pretty bad. And I think that that combination of that viral infection, the perimenopause, and around that time, right around that time frame, I was actually doing a lot of physical strenuous work because I was practicing for a dance recital. <laughs> I was taking some dance lessons at that time and we had a dance recital coming up and I was like dancing. And, you know, so that was like heavy dancing. So I feel like the combination of those three things is what triggered autoimmunity in me. Yeah. When we reflect on things, once we have certain knowledge, we can go, perhaps it's combination and genes and environment. This is what I learned in gerontology <laughs> when I got my master's. It was basically, yeah, genes plus environment, and then there's a trigger. And going back, it's just, I, 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 I would love for you to share a little bit with women now what would you recommend a woman going through this menopause transition do to protect her health, whether she has rheumatoid arthritis, uh, maybe, I don't know if there's different protocols for her or for somebody who doesn't? Yeah, that's a great question. And it is especially relevant, right? As I said, because a lot of the women who are diagnosed with RA are kind of currently also going through perimenopause. You know, I, it's it's almost like, you know, and people who have RA or any autoimmune disease also have seem to have worse menopausal symptoms. And one of the reasons for that could be like because their adrenals are already fatigued, right? When you have autoimmune disease, your adrenal glands are fatigued. And that's one of the reasons why you also get, you know, autoimmune disease. So when that is happening, when menopause or perimenopause sets in, what happens is, you know, your ovaries start, stop manufacturing your female hormones, but they are handing the baton to adrenal glands and they are supposed to take over. But if your adrenal glands are already compromised, like an RA or autoimmune disease, then they are not able to take over. And that is why, you know, people with RA or people with autoimmune really have really horrible perimenopause and menopause symptoms. And I did too. So what my advice to them is, um, if they already have RA, I would again recommend, right, they try the AIP diet and continue to eat. If they cannot do the elimination, at least continue to eat healthy, nutrient-dense foods. Lots of vegetables, lots of green leafy vegetables, lots of cruciferous vegetables, and then also good fats like your avocados, olive oil, olives, and, um, you know, all, all the nuts, etc. You can try, right? All the good fats because our, those are the building blocks for your hormones. You know, you need to eat those good fats too to synthesize hormones. And then also what I would uh, recommend is in... Uh, Take certain steps to uh, lifestyle measures to reduce the stress in your life. Because as I said, adrenal glands, right? Stress has an impact on the adrenal glands. And if they are fatigued, then you are not going to be able to produce those hormones. So take those, start by taking the dietary and lifestyle changes. Try to really reduce uh, stress in your life or take do stress relief measures. Do yoga, mindfulness, meditation. That's you know really helpful. And if those steps help you, to kind of reduce your symptoms, that's great. But sometimes those are not enough. They were not enough for me. You know, they helped me through perimenopause. But then when menopause started hitting uh, me last year, my levels really tanked. You know, my estrogen dropped to like 10. And I had like crazy vertigo and, um, you know, basically dizziness all the time that I talked to my OBGYN. and I had also read about hormone replacement therapy before that I had attended a webinar. So I knew that hormonal replacement therapy, now there is new data, new research that says 
that it is not really uh, it's it's really safe for you it's not really does not really have the adverse effects that it was purported to have before you know because of that flawed study that was done years ago so i was more receptive to it and my obgyn uh, herself recommended that i be on it considering my really low uh, hormone levels and i was happy to be on it and th- that helped me tremendously and the these hormones also have a protective effect on the body you know they help your heart they help your brain they help your bones so i am really happy to be on it and it really helps me but that doesn't necessarily mean that every single woman who is going through menopause needs to be on it it depends on how your body is able to handle it you know so it depends on what kind of symptoms you have and i really advocate for uh, testing for hormone levels because that's when you really know where you stand and whether you know hormonal therapy is needed for you or not or just diet and lifestyle might be enough for you and what kind of testing would you recommend blood serum or i mean a uh, urine yeah blood testing you know regular blood testing for all the um, your female hormones uh, primarily estrogen and progesterone at, at least because the levels of those will give you an idea of um, how low they go and your practitioner might want to test at different times of your cycle too to kind of see how they uh, what the levels are throughout your cycle uh, but definitely you know testing is like for the first step we're gone over 3 minutes i'm wondering do you have a little bit more time or how much time do you have left I can definitely do like 5 uh, minutes maybe more. Okay. So we got 5 minutes. I want you to share a little bit about your blog, your cookbook and the programs that you have. I started when I started the AIP I started writing um up my AIP recipes on my blog which is called cooktonourish.com which is cook the number 2 nourish.com. So you find recipes there. I also have a YouTube channel with the same name, Cook to Nourish, and there I have I do both. I share my recipes as well as I share nutritional advice there. So if you can follow me there, you'll um, get my all my latest videos. And then I recently launched a new website called as RheumatoidStrong.com, and that is essentially for focused on helping women with RE. So I write blog. posts and there's ton of uh, you know there's information about my story there and also about my programs so i have a program rheumatoid strong which is an online course where anybody can just um, you know purchase that course and then do it at their own pace you know it's kind of a self paced course and then i also offer a rheumatoid strong plus program which is a coaching program where in addition to having that course you get real support you know so you will be in a part of a community of other people with uh, women with ra there'll be weekly live calls with me and then also you also get a one on one nutritional consultation with me so i can actually prescribe some supplements if needed etc and also customize the diet if needed and this also comes with weekly meal plans so you know everybody wants meal plans so that's a great way for people to stay on the diet Yes, and get inspired because when you, yeah, when you're just trying to figure this out, you don't want to make a mistake. You want to do it 100% perfect just to see if it works. I think that's super important, and I I love the group coaching program because, you, like you said, you can feel so alone, and knowing that there are other people out there and hearing their success stories is so inspiring. And I think that just mentally helps you stick with it and keep going. So I'm I'm so glad. you have these uh these programs and you offered our our guests or our listeners uh 10% off the programs by using the code zora z o r a so i'm super excited to see have people somewhere to direct them because actually i do run into people with um these issues and uh and it's nice to know they can go to you i'll have links to the programs and your instagram your youtube and your email in the show notes where people can can find more about you and just reach out to you and i'm super grateful that that you made the time to to come out and explain so much and share your story i find it super inspiring before we go Do you have any last words for a woman going through menopause? Yes, yes. Thank you for the opportunity by the way for having me here. My message to a woman with who's going through menopause would be don't don't you don't need to suffer. 
you know, don't think that these symptoms are normal. It's part of menopause and that's the way you've got to live the rest of your life. Uh, be definitely open to trying things like the dietary and lifestyle changes that I said, as well as, you know, potentially exploring if HRT is right for you, because it can make a huge difference in the quality of your life and uh, you don't need to suffer. That's wonderful. And pray. <laughs> yes, yes. And continue to pray in some form, whatever form helps you, because that is so good for both the mind as well as the body. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Indira. I am super excited to keep following you and and hopefully have you on again and, and continue continue the conversation because I still have so many questions. So thank you for your time. And I hope you have a good day and a nice flight. Thank you so much, Zora. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Hey, did you enjoy the podcast? Don't forget to subscribe to be notified of all the new episodes and leave a review to help build the tribe. It's a small act of kindness that brings me big benefits and helps others find this amazing content. The best thing you can do is share. Sharing is caring. Statements made on this podcast have not been evaluated by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Anything we say or products we mention are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information provided by this podcast is not a substitute for personal medical advice and not intended to replace a one-on-one -on -one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional. It is intended as a sharing of knowledge and information from the personal research and experience of me and my guests.